Welcome to the Back Em Down Podcast. This is your host, Coach Johnson. What an exciting day of basketball we had yesterday in the NBA and the WNBA. We're going to talk about that as well as the big news coming out of the Big Ten. And we will talk about the games today on Sunday, August the 2nd in the NBA and the WNBA. So fasten up and enjoy this episode. Let's get this episode started talking about the big news out of the Big Ten today regarding the Iowa Hawkeyes as they get a huge announcement from Luke Garza as he said he is going to withdraw his name from the 2020 NBA draft and return for his senior season. He's going to be regarded as one of the top players in college basketball for a team that's going to be able to make a lot of noise next year with him at the center position, returning most of their team from a group that was destined to be one of the top five seeds in any of the regions in the NCAA tournament, finishing the season in the top 25. I believe with this announcement and the team that they have returning next season, we can expect the Iowa Hawkeyes to be one of the best teams in the Big Ten. And personally for me, the favorite to win the Big Ten. I also believe they're going to be in heavy consideration and a lot of people's choices to make a Final Four run next season as long as we have a college basketball season. So this is huge news for Hawkeyes fans everywhere, as Luke Garza has announced that he is coming back for his senior season at the University of Iowa. Next, let's talk about the WNBA. One of the most disappointing things to hear coming out last night was that Sabrina Inescu was going to be out a month after the ankle injury she suffered earlier in the week. And they're also reporting that she may miss the rest of the season due to this ankle injury. And she was just getting started on showing how promising of a player she is and the bright future she has ahead of her. So be praying for her and hope that she has a quick recovery so we can see her back on the court. In the Saturday games, we had the Minnesota Lynx versus the Connecticut Sun as the Lynx beat them 78-69, to led behind Sylvia Fowles with 21 points and 13 rebounds, and Dewana Bonner scored 28 points for the Suns in their loss. In the second game of the day, we had the Chicago Sky take on the Washington Mystics. The Sky were able to pull out a tough victory in a very close game by a score of 88-86. to Cheyenne Parker led the way with 16 points and 6 rebounds, and Ariel Powers led the way for the Mystics in the loss with 20 points and 7 rebounds. And in the last game of the day, uh, including a Seattle Storm team and Los Angeles Sparks that both have high expectations for the season, The Storm were able to win this matchup behind the play of Brianna Stewart, who had 21 points and 9 rebounds, 
And Candace Parker led the way for the Sparks with 19 points and 12 rebounds. The Seattle Storm won this game 81-75 to over the Los Angeles Sparks. And in the Sunday games going on right now, one of them just finished. The Phoenix Mercury knocked off the New York Liberty 96-67. to This game was looking like a blowout early as the Mercury jumped out to a 14-point lead. But the Liberty didn't give up as they pushed back, fought to get back within five points. But after that, the Mercury took complete control of this game behind the play of Diana Taurasi. And she chipped in. 18 points with 9 assists. They also got a big contribution off the bench with Bria Hartley as she exploded for 27 points. And they also got good production out of their front court of Brianna Turner and Brittany Griner as they combined for 23 points and 17 rebounds as they took down the Liberty. In the next game of the day, we have the Atlanta Dream taking on the Indiana Fever at 3.30 p.m. Eastern Time on NBA TV. And then we have in the primetime slot the Dallas Wings taking on the Las Vegas Aces at 6 p.m. Eastern Time on ESPN2. So make sure you tune over to watch those women ball out and just enjoy the basketball that they play. I know it's different from the NBA and a lot of people get caught up with the size and athleticism of the NBA, but the WNBA is such a great representation of basketball from a technical standpoint. And I suggest all coaches and players to watch women's basketball because there's so many different elements that they are great at that sometimes guys get away with not being great at, especially fundamental wise, ball handling wise, shooting wise, that you really should study the game from a team standpoint and an individual standpoint when it comes to women's basketball. Now let's talk about some of the Saturday NBA games. First off, we had the Miami Heat taking on the Denver Nuggets. There was no Jamal Murray and Gary Harris in his game for the Nuggets. And they struggled without him as the Heat went on to win 125 to 105. Some plus or positives, I must say, for the Nuggets is seeing Bobo get minutes in the actual game. And him produce, even though it wasn't at such a grand scale as it was in the scrimmages. But he still did some good things, leading the break, getting some assist, knocking down some perimeter shots. So it's going to be interesting to see how that continues to unfold moving forward. Jeremy Grant was huge for the Nuggets in this game, even though this game was a blowout for most of it. 
but he had a great all-around performance, you know, on the defensive end, scoring and rebounding. He did everything that he's capable of doing. So it's really important for him to keep that play up while the Nuggets move forward in this season. I thought personally that Jokic had a little bit of an underwhelming game, at least scoring-wise. He wasn't very efficient and didn't knock down many uh, perimeter shots. And I think some of that is probably due to the fact that they didn't have Jamal Murray or Gary Harris to attract some of that attention away from Jokic in the post. And the Nuggets just didn't have the spacing offensively to play that well on that end. Because then you look at their stats and a team that's usually pretty consistent from the three-point line didn't hit many threes, going eight for 35 from the three-point line for 22.9%, which is just really bad. Really, really bad. I was really surprised by the margin of victory just because it didn't look like the Nuggets belonged in this game. The biggest thing for me looking at the Heat is that their bench, man, they have a really good bench with Dragic coming off with Iguodala and Crowder. Myers Leonard, his team is deep, and they're very versatile, and those guys off the bench can score it, they can shoot it, they're going to play really good defense, and they're going to compete. And there's not going to be that many teams moving forward that have a bench as talented as Miami's. This really makes me think how serious of a title contender than Miami Heat are. If they can play at this level and their bench supplements, their starters like they are able to, then this Heat team is going to be very dangerous in the playoffs and going to be a hard out for anyone. And the thing that is like really intriguing to me and stands out the most is that how wow well-balanced the Miami attack is as they had three players with 20-plus points and six players total in double figures. And then one of, obviously, my favorite players in the league, Bam Adebayo, just had a complete game chipping in, 22 points. He grabbed nine rebounds and was able to dish out six assists. He's going to be probably the most important player moving forward on determining if this team is a serious threat in the playoffs or not. In the second game of the day, we had my hometown team, the Oklahoma City Thunder, taking on the Utah Jazz, who were coming off a huge comeback win against the Pelicans. And you're maybe thinking, Maybe that second half really got them back in a groove and they were going to come out and play well in this game against the Thunder, a game that has a lot of implications on playoff seeding as the Thunder right there behind the Jazz in the Western Conference. 
But Thunder just came out punching, and the Jazz just never fought back. Thunder had a well-balanced attack with four starters and double figures. I thought Roberson came in and made an immediate impact on the defensive end in terms of rebounding, blocking a few shots, letting his length cause problems for the wings of the Jazz. You know, the Donovan Mitchell and Jordan Clarkson, even Mike Conley too when he switched off onto him. The Thunder hit a lot of shots from deep, and it was just raining in from everywhere. Gallinari, Lugans Dort, Shea Gilgis Alexander, you know, everyone. It was just, it was kind of like watching, you know, one of the later games in the Clippers, not saying that they hit as many threes, but man, they were just raining it down on the Jazz, and the Jazz just had no response. You know, the Thunder ended up shooting, you know, 10 for 26 from three, but when they were building their lead in that second quarter, they hit a bunch of them in a pretty short span to increase their lead. And I thought, you know, Steven Adams was doing a really good job of controlling the paint when it came to rebounds and just finishing around the basket, especially through contact. And talking about finishing through contact, what about that dunk from Gallinari on Royce O'Neal? That was big time. Added some more juice to the Thunder and just kind of went along with the whole game as they were just beating up on the Jazz. I thought it was very interesting that the Thunder guards kept attacking Gobert, who is known as one of the premier shot blockers in the league, but they weren't worried about it, getting him in foul trouble. And a thing that I liked watching in the Oklahoma City Thunder's offense was how they were operating out of pick and roll. They were making a lot of great reads and attacking the basket, kicking out the shooters for open threes, operating in the mid-range, knocking down those jumpers as well as Chris Paul does and Schroeder does well too. And, you know, another thing I picked up watching this game is the difference between the two teams and how much they were sharing the basketball as the Thunder played together as a team a lot more than the Jazz did, and it showed – I mean, look at the score. The Thunder win this game 110 to 94. And they, you know, they had 19 assists in the game. The Jazz had 17, but you just saw the ball movement a lot more from the Thunder, even though it maybe not always equated an assist. But they just had a lot more, much better flowing offense compared to the Jazz. A stat I would like to see is the number of passes and dribbles for each team. As I would say, the Thunder had a lot more passes and the Jazz had a lot more dribbles. Utah's offense really just never showed up. As Donovan Mitchell and Jordan Clarkson were really cold in this game. 
after finding a groove in that second half against the Pelicans to propel the Jazz to that win. They weren't getting anything for most of the game out of O'Neal, who I thought had played well in that previous game. And I think Gobert's foul trouble didn't help them at all in this game. The Thunder just completely dominated the whole game and just never let up from start to finish. In what I thought was going to be a very exciting game, especially with the Pelicans coming off a heartbreaking loss against the Jazz, I thought they were going to be super motivated to play in this game and try to get back a game against the Clippers who were motivated to be in this game and showed it from the jump as they took no prisoners and put the Pelicans away early behind some very hot shooting from the perimeter, starting out six for seven from three to build a big lead. And quite frankly, they never looked back after that. They ended up hitting 25 three-point field goals in the game, which is a Los Angeles Clippers record. I was very impressed with the play of Reggie Jackson as he scored double figures again in this game with 15 points and eight rebounds. Paul George, his shooting throughout the night was tremendous, going eight for 11 from the three-point line on his way to 28 points. I think one of the most important takeaways for the Clippers in this game is that they were able to build that big lead and keep it so their starters didn't have to play a ton ton of minutes and they're able to rest their legs going in to this final stretch of the season into the playoffs. Clippers defense was phenomenal throughout the whole night, just really suffocating the Pelicans, and you could see that it really frustrated them. The Pelicans only shot 44.7% from the field and only 30% from three, and this is surprising to most people because of the offensive output that we usually get from the Pelicans as they're one of the top teams in the league in offense, and with the way that the Clippers started this game, it really shook the Pelicans, and I just, I hated seeing their body language throughout the game. As you could just tell, it got worse and worse, and it got to the point where it just didn't seem like they were engaged in this game at all which is very upsetting and weird because they are a team right there fighting for that last and eighth playoff spot. And if you ask most people, the NBA kind of helped them get into this situation by allowing these last few teams to fight for that eighth and final playoff spot instead of just taking that top eight teams from each conference and playing the playoffs. Brandon Ingram struggled in this game after having a big game against the Jazz. 
but his struggles from that fourth quarter seemed to carry on in this game. You know, I didn't think he would be as successful in this game anyways just because you're going against Kawhi and Paul George, someone with his same size and length that is going to slow him down. You could tell this mentally affected him as he got very frustrated, you know, tossed the ball at the ref at one point, picking up a technical, and some of those bad habits just came out. Unfortunately, Zion was still in limited minutes. And I think that plays another part into Ingram's game as he, I don't think, is very comfortable playing with Zion yet. And that's just going to take time and reps of them playing uh, alongside each other. But hopefully they can pick it back up over these last six games to make a run at that last and eighth playoff spot in the West. In what was a very exciting game against the Indiana Pacers and the Philadelphia 76ers, as the Pacers were able to knock them off by a score of 127 to 121, giving them a little bit of margin for that fifth seed in the East. You know, the Pacers got huge news before the game as Victor Oladipo decided that he will play the rest of the season with the Pacers, including the playoffs after there were some doubts of him doing such. The biggest news from this game is the offensive explosion that we got from TJ Warren as he poured in a career-high 53 points. He put on a show, ladies and gentlemen. It's always been Warren's M.O. in the league as a scorer, but he was just feeling it last night, hitting shots from deep, hitting shots in isolation situations, in the mid-range, getting to the basket. It was very fun to watch. Another good Note for the Pacers is the play of Aaron Holiday. You know, I thought he did a good job of initiating the offense and providing some scoring to offset TJ Warren as he posted a double-double with 15 points and 10 assists. But the Pacers had no answer for Joel Embiid down low as he poured in 41 points and had 21 rebounds. He completely dominated the paint. This is something we've been wanting to see from Embiid, as there's been too many times that he was stuck playing on the perimeter and not being utilized in the right way. Tobias Harris scored 30 points in the game. It just wasn't a very efficient game for him, shooting 12 for 29 from the field. I thought something good that I noted to in the NBA restart episode for the Eastern Conference was the addition of Alex Burks, who is someone that can come in and knock down perimeter shots and provide some spacing for the 76ers team. And last night he showed that, knocking down three threes. I really think if the Sixers can get to a 
point where they're hitting 12 to 15 threes a game, then it can really change change the trajectory of their season. I was really surprised to see the Sixers defense get torched by Warren, especially with the wings and guards that they possess that are long and athletic and known to be good defenders in Ben Simmons and Josh Richardson and the rookie Thibel. But it was just TJ TJ Warren's night, and even with the big performance from Embiid, it just wasn't enough to beat the Pacers and move up in the Eastern Conference standings. I will be right back to finish this episode after a quick word from our sponsor, Anchor. In the last game of the day, And in the primetime slot, we had the Lakers taking on the Raptors. The Raptors were able to beat the Lakers, who were coming off a big win against their rivals, 107-92. This game was like a street fight. You had to go earn it, and the Raptors proved to be a little bit tougher. LeBron did find a little bit more of his offense in this game. He hit a few big threes in the third quarter to give the Lakers back the lead after the Raptors went on a little bit of a run. And I thought this is probably going to be the turning point and the Lakers are going to squeeze out this victory. But that wasn't the case. I thought that the defense that LeBron is playing right now is some of the best defense he's played in quite some time. The biggest drawback from this game was that the Lakers didn't get anything out of Anthony Davis, and he only took seven shots. Um, He was not able to get involved as much offensively as he did in the Clippers game, and some of that is probably due to the scheming of Nick Nurse and the Raptors, and then the Raptors just being able to match up with him and having rim protection in Gasol and Ibaka and Siakam. Siakam being a player that can move on the perimeter with Anthony Davis as well as provide the length to contest his shots. I think another scary thing for the Lakers, hoping this gets resolved, is that Danny Green has not hit many shots in these first two games, especially last night getting some good open looks. But going 0 for 6 from the three-point line, he's going to have to knock down open shots if the Lakers are going to advance in the playoffs and try to win a championship this season. Kyle Kuzma continued the great play from the second half of the Clippers game in this game as he scored 16 points and played really good defense. I think Alex Caruso might have heard my criticism the other night because he played really good in this game, especially defensively on Van Vliet and Kyle Lowry, and also provided good scoring getting to the basket, causing some trouble defensively and getting some easy baskets out in transition. But man, speaking of Kyle Lowry, that dude 
played like a man on a mission. Like he's ready to try to go win back-to-back championships. As he poured in 33 points, grabbed 14 rebounds, and six assists, he was in complete control of this game, controlled the tempo in the favor of the Raptors, and he just put the Lakers away with big shots late in the game from the three-point line and even getting it to guys in spots of that are most successful for them. I thought OG Anobi was huge in this game on the defensive side of the ball, causing problems for Danny Green and Caldwell Pope and even LeBron at times. But where he probably made a bigger impact was on the offensive side as he went eight for nine, knocking down three threes on his way to 23 points. This game really put in perspective how serious of a title contender the Raptors are moving forward. Like I knew their defense was good, but their defense looked really good last night. And they're just so big and long, so they cause problems for every team. And it's going to be very interesting to see how teams play them offensively moving forward and where they try to exploit weaknesses. I really thought that the Raptors were successful offensively when Siakam was able to bring the ball up in transition and operate as a playmaker, distributor, and get guys open shots because he attracts so much attention when the ball's in his hands. And another side note, this is Toronto's 11th straight win over the Lakers dating back to 2014. And in the last part of this episode, we're going to talk about the game slate for the day in the NBA. Right now we have the Brooklyn Nets beating the Washington Wizards by a score of 108 to 102. The Nets are being led by a few different people. You know, Karis LeVert's leading the way scoring-wise with 28 points to go along with six rebounds and three assists. Also getting a big shooting performance out of Joe Harris as he has 27 points and seven rebounds, going six for seven from three. And then we're getting a really big game out of the big man in the middle of Jarrett Allen as he has 20 points and has grabbed 14 rebounds. So that's good for some of those young guys to get to that experience and produce at such a high level. The Wizards, one of my favorite uh, role players, and I think one of the more underrated players in the league, Thomas Bryant is having a huge game for them as he has 30 points and 13 rebounds. Also getting a solid game out of Troy Brown Jr., the former Oregon Duck, as he has 18 points nine rebounds, and seven assists, close to a triple-double. And the Wizards are getting good production off the bench as Ish Smith has 12 points to go along with four rebounds and five assists. Also, Jaron Grant with 10 points, and Jerome Robinson continues his strong scoring output with 12 points. 
and five rebounds. The other games going on right now include the Boston Celtics taking on the Portland Trailblazers, which at the moment it isn't much of a game as the Celtics are up big after suffering the tough defeat to the Milwaukee Bucks. But right now the Celtics are up 58-38 to with three minutes to go in the second quarter. Tatum has bounced back in this game as he has 17 points already on 6 of 10 shooting from the field and shooting 4 for 6 from 3. So this is huge for the Celtics that he's bouncing back in this fashion. Also getting a good game out of Gordon Hayward as he has 9 points on 3 of 4 shooting from 3. Also has grabbed 5 rebounds. Kimba Walker is playing really well as he has 10 points and he's perfect from the field, shooting 4-for-4 four four and 2-for-2 two two from 3. For the Trailblazers, Nurchich is leading the way with 12 points and 6 rebounds, continuing his strong play from the other day. Lillard and McCollum are struggling as they are combined 3-for-12 from the field and 0-for-5 from 3. And it looks like Carmelo is having a rough day as well, shooting only two of nine from the field, but he is two for three from deep. So it's going to be interesting to see if Lillard and McCollum can pick it up and help the Trailblazers get back in this game after securing a huge win over the Grizzlies the other day. And then the Grizzlies and San Antonio Spurs have tipped off not too long ago. And the Spurs are currently up 25-21 to with 3 minutes and 26 seconds in the first quarter. This would be a huge win for the Spurs looking to creep their way back into the playoffs to continue their playoff streak of 22 consecutive years in the playoffs. To start this game, really the complete Spurs starting lineup has gotten off to a good start, and even the guys who have entered the game from the bench. But the leading score at the moment is a tie between two players with Lonnie Walker with five points and Rudy Gay with five points as well. And for the Grizzlies, we have Jaron Jackson Jr. continuing the strong performance from the other night as he leads the Grizzlies with five points to start this game as well. Hopefully the Grizzlies can pick up a win to bounce back from the other day and continue to work towards securing that eighth and final playoff spot for a playoff series against the Lakers.